you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to John chapter 16. I'm sorry, uh, Judges chapter 16. Uh, Judges chapter 16. Uh, We're going to be finishing up our series entitled Unheroic, How God Uses the Worst for His Best. And as we've been going through the book of Judges, what we have found is four individuals that we have looked at that God has used despite their deficiencies. And they've progressively gotten morally worse. So we began with Deborah about a month ago, and we we learned about Deborah is that she was really an outstanding individual, a godly woman, but she was not who most people would have chosen to judge and lead Israel. Yet that's who, exactly who, God desired to use. Then uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at Gideon. Gideon was not a man of great strength, although he was called a, a mighty warrior of God. He had great fear and doubts and insecurities, and God used him in spite of his fears, his doubts, and his insecurities. Last week, we looked at Jephthah, who was a mighty warrior, but had all sorts of messes in his life. He was not a God-following man, and he made really several bonehead mistakes, including an egregious sin where he sacrificed his own daughter and put her to death. Yet, in spite of his past, in spite of the sin in his life, God chose to use him to rule over and judge Israel. Today, we're to our fourth and for this series final judge that we're going to look at a man by the name of Samson and you're going to read a story of Samson and a woman named Delilah in chapter 16 Uh, but let me go ahead and remind you that as we've studied the book of Judges we're very uh, mindful that these judges are human beings who are flawed greatly and they have progressively gotten more and more immoral So if you thought Jephthah was bad last week, you can go back and listen or watch that sermon from last week. Now, he was certainly wicked and and did some horrible, evil things. I think it's safe to say as you read the life of Samson, Samson probably had even less of a moral compass than Jephthah. Samson was not the character we're used to seeing in Sunday school. How many of you have learned about Samson and Delilah in, in Sunday school? You remember, and maybe you had flannel graph. Do you remember flannel graph? And you had your little cartoon Samson, and he was up there all kind of big and muscular and strong. And then you had Delilah. She's kind of a floozy, and she was in this long flowing dress, and she's kind of uh, got kind of this wry smile, but very cartoonish, you know. And and maybe there was a picture of a lion that that was kind of uh, vicious looking, but not too vicious looking because, come on, it's flannel graph, you know, it's kid appropriate. And and you have this story of Samson and Delilah, and, and it's almost watered down to a point that we don't realize just how wicked of an individual Samson is. I think it's really important before we read chapter 16 to know about Samson's entire life. See, the the life of Samson really begins in Judges chapter 13, and there are four chapters dedicated to the life of Samson, 13, 14, 15, and will be in chapter 16. So a a good Bible scholar would stand before you and say, we're going to look at the context, right? That's a good Bible scholar word. We're going to look at the context of the life of Samson. I don't want to water it down. It is the context, but I like to look at it as his backstory. (laughs) This is where I start to think about villains in movies, and right, they always have to monologue about their backstory, how they got to be as wicked as they are. And so this is Samson's backstory. This is what has brought him to the place of his hatred for the Philistines, for his hatred for, for the people that, that come against him, and, and where we see his, his real 
um, his real life unfold before our eyes. So let me summarize kind of what's going on in Samson's backstory. For starters, his parents were unable to have children. Uh, They were barren. And so they had, like every faithful Israelite, had prayed to the Lord for a child. Now, does this remind you of any other story in the Bible? Actually, this happens a lot. You, You think of Abraham and Sarah. They were unable to have children and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord gave them a child. You think of uh, someone like uh, Hannah and her husband Elkanah. Is there, in, in later on in Samuel, they're going to pray that God would give them a child. And, and Hannah even says, if you'll give me a child, I'll, I'll dedicate him to the Lord. If you give me a son. And so Samuel's born, and, and when he's at the right age, he's taken to the temple and raised in the temple. Right? You think of the story in the New Testament, a really famous one, right? Uh, where you hear of John the Baptist's parents praying, Elizabeth praying, will you please give me a child? I'm unable to have children. And God gives her and her husband a child in their old age. And and she is able to have a family. Here we see a similar story in Judges chapter 13, where his parents are unable to have a child, and yet an angel of the Lord comes miraculously to to Samson's mother and says, not only are you going to have a child, but he's going to judge Israel. And not only is he going to judge Israel, but, but he's going to be set apart for my purpose. I want him to be a Nazarite. Now, let's not get hung up on this word. There are denominations with Nazarite or Nazarene in there. Literally, what it means is I want him set apart for the work of God. That's the important thing to remember. And as a sign of that, one thing the Nazarites did was they never cut their hair. So if you walked through uh, Old Testament Jerusalem or Israel, and you saw someone with a man with extremely long and scraggly hair, that would be a symbol to you. He must be a Nazarite. He's made a vow not to cut his hair as a sign that he's set apart for the work of God. So Samson is born miraculously, and in the following chapter, he's raised, and as he gets older, they find out Samson is big and he's strong. And I like to think, this isn't anywhere in Scripture, but I like to think that that because Samson was an only child, he was a little bit spoiled. Any only children in here? Anybody an only child? Right. Were you a little bit spoiled? A little bit, yeah? It's okay to admit, right? We, we see Samson growing up, and he's getting what he wants. As he gets old enough to marry, he goes and he sees a woman who is a daughter of a Philistine. She's a Philistine woman, Israel's enemy at this time. The Philistines are, are oppressing Israel, but Samson catches Uh, or sees this woman and she catches his eye and he demands, that's the one I want to marry. And his parents are begging him, parents, you're going to do this? I hope one day day you guys find godly husbands or godly wife, but one day there there may come a time when your children are ready to to be of marrying age and they bring home this this woman or bring home this man and that's just not the one, right? I mean, this guy needs a haircut. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's scraggly. He's, he's not following after the things you need to follow. So this is what Samson's parents do. They try to discourage him. Not a Philistine woman. We're told to separate ourselves from them. Pick anyone else. But Samson is determined. Now, if you're not familiar with Samson's backstory, you may think that this woman's name was Delilah. It is not. Samson finds this Philistine woman and demands to marry him. And so they're traveling to go uh, meet his coming bride. And as they are, Samson kind of separates himself from his parents and sees a lion. And while he finds this lion, it, it comes and attacks. And Samson is so strong, it says with his bare hands, he kills this lion. Now this is a cool movie moment, right? I'd love to see this. With bare hands, rips the lion apart, it says. He doesn't tell anyone about it. They go and they meet his future bride. 
they're betrothed, they're celebrating. Samson has to go back to get some things ready, and as he does, he's walking past this lion, and he notices inside this lion, um, there's honey inside the carcass of a lion. Now, why is there honey inside a carcass of a lion? I don't know. (laughs) What I am even more confused about is the fact that Samson thought it was a good idea to reach into the carcass of the lion, pull out the honey, and start eating it. Why? I, I don't know, right? What's even more confusing is that Samson tells nobody about the lion or the source of the honey. He finds his mom and dad and goes, hey guys, look what I found. You want to eat some? Yeah, honey sounds good. No clue it came out of a dead animal. No clue, right? He's a weird guy. You can see he's, he's not all with it. But this, this creates kind of a riddle in his mind so that when he finally gets to, to his wedding week, he, he marries his wife and he tells during the celebration, he tells the Philistines, I've got a riddle for you. And if anyone can figure out this riddle, I will give these 30 men uh, new robes and new garments. Would have been an expensive wager. He said, but if you don't guess the riddle in this week's time, you have to give me 30 garments. Again, an expensive wager. Here's the riddle he tells them. He says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. We know the story. We hear about the lion. We hear about the honey. The answer to the riddle is, there's honey that came out of a lion. I don't understand. This riddle doesn't make sense to me either, guys. So just just relax. This is just what the riddle is, okay? For three days, they're stressing out. We can't figure out this riddle, and, and we don't have 30 garments to give Samson. So they get into the corner of his wife and say, why don't you go find out what the answer to this riddle is? And so we find that the wife begs, don't you love me? Won't you just tell me the answer to the My people need to know, why are you keeping secrets from me? Now, Samson's not the brightest bulb in the box. He does hold on to the secret till the last day, and he reveals it to her. And so the, the men of the town come and say, what's stronger than a lion? And what's sweeter than honey? And Samson has a very non-G-rated response, basically calling his wife a cow. Okay, you can read about it in, in Samson thir- or, or Judges 13, 14, and 15. And he gets all upset, and he goes and he, he slaughters 30 foreign men, kills them to steal their robes to make payment for his bet. Real upstanding moral guy that we're painting a picture for. But here's where the story takes maybe the darkest turn. He pays his bet, makes his wager, and as he goes back to his town to get things ready to bring his new wife, their newlyweds, while he's gone... His wife's father decides to give her away to a Philistine. So although she is married to Samson, while he's away getting things ready, he gives her to another man in marriage. Samson shows up to claim his bride, claims his wife. And the dad says, again, real sensitive here, listen, she's already been married off now, but her younger sister, she's a lot more attractive. Why don't you take her? Ouch, right? Well, Samson is obviously heartbroken and infuriated. He decides he's going to get vengeance on the Philistines. What he does, Samson is going to earn an A-plus in creative warfare. I don't know how he comes up with this idea, but he goes and he catches 300 foxes. And he takes their tails and he ties two of them together, tail by tail. So he's got 150 sets of these 300 foxes, right? And he takes a torch and ties it on the rope between their tails, And he lets them loose in the field of the Philistines so that they drag the fire all throughout the field and it it destroys their entire crop. That's pretty cool. I'd like to see that sight, wouldn't you? 
As a matter of fact, if you guys will video it, I'd like for you to find two foxes and tie them together with a torch. I just am kind of curious how that will work. How do you keep the torch going? Anyways, I'm, I'm getting off. It was really a novel, neat idea. But he destroys the Philistines' field, and of course, they're livid. Why did he do this? And it's told, well, because this Philistine man gave his wife away. So they go, and this makes Samson even more upset. They go and they kill the man, and they kill Samson's wife out of, out of, uh, because they, they did such a wicked thing. And this makes Samson even more upset. The people uh, then are, are looking for Samson to kill him, and the Israelites beg, they're going to kill us if we don't turn you over. So Samson says, come and take me, bind me, and give me to them. I'll, I'll, I'll go willingly. As long as you don't kill me, I will go. So the Philistines come, the people of Israel tie him with really strong, tight ropes and send him off to meet the Philistines. While he's there with the Philistines, it says he busted free from the ropes and he grabbed the jawbone of a donkey. Again, Creative Warfare 101. This is, this is A plus for Samson. With the jawbone of a donkey, it said he killed 1,000 Philistines, effectively wiping out all of the threat against Israel in this moment. And then it says, Samson ruled Israel for 20 years. He was their judge for the next 20 years. This is the backstory of Samson. Samson, why do you hate the Philistines so much? But why do you have such bitterness towards these people? It's partly because they oppressed Israel, but partly because really they ripped his heart out, right? This is not just merely a God called me and so I'm going to overtake you. This is a I've got a personal history with you. And so for 20 years, Samson is judging and ruling over the nation of Israel and they have relative peace. What we find in chapter 16 is a story you're familiar with. We, we find out that Samson in his 20 years has not learned to be more morally just. Just because he's ruling over Israel does not mean he's a good guy. Because in chapter 16, verse 1, we find Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went in to her. This still is not Delilah. This is a different woman that Samson just decides to go and be with. This is not a morally upstanding individual. There, a few verses later, we're introduced to Delilah. It says, after this, so a different woman, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, and that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that no one could subdue you. What we find is Samson falling in love with yet another woman, a Philistine woman, most likely another prostitute, though we're not 100% sure. He falls in love with her, and the people see his love and again decide to manipulate the situation. Will you find out what the source of his strength is? Samson has learned his lesson somewhat, so he keeps it to himself. He tells her in verse 7 this lie. And he said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I should become weak like any other man. So Delilah goes and she tells the people, if we bind him with seven fresh bowstrings, he won't be able to escape it. So while he's sleeping, guess what they do? They bind him with seven fresh bowstrings. They show up. Delilah yells, uh, Samson, the Philistines are here. 
And instead of being weak, Samson busts through the bowstrings and jumps out and defeats the Philistines. Well, just a, a few verses later, Delilah's all upset. You lied to me. How dare you lie to me? And he, so Samson tells her another lie. He said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. Forget the bowstrings. Get the thick ropes. Well, what do you know? Delilah takes and binds him with new ropes, yells, the Philistines are coming. Samson busts out, breaks the ropes, and goes and defeats the Philistines again. Verse 13b, the second half of verse 13. Delilah again, please, why won't you tell me the truth? At this point, you think Samson's starting to catch on what Delilah's doing? I would hope that you and I are smart enough to go, maybe I shouldn't tell her what's going on. 13b, he gives her another lie. If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I'll be weak and I won't be able to escape. I'll be like any other man. So what does Delilah do? She takes the seven weaves of his hair, weaves it real tight, puts a pin in it. Philistines are coming! And Samson jumps up with great strength and defeats the Philistines again. Samson, for all of his wisdom to keep this truth from Delilah, doesn't eventually hold his tongue. It says that Delilah pressed hard against him. There's a lot of different interpretations of what that means. But she certainly put a lot of pressure on him. And he loved her for some odd reason so much. Verses 15 and 16, Delilah says, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. And then she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him and his soul was vexed to death. The woman he loves is trying to destroy him. So Samson tells her something and I'm not even sure Samson really realized that this was the truth. But in verse 17, he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor's never come upon my head for I've been a Nazarite from God to God for my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I should become weak and be like any other man. It's important to realize that Samson believes his strength lies in his hair. It's important for us to realize we're always taught that Samson's strength lies in his hair. What do you know? Verses 18 through 21, Delilah saw that he had told all his heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, come up again, for he's told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Remember, 1,100 pieces of silver each. She's a very wealthy individual now. She made him sleep on her knees, a sign of affection, reminiscent of how Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. She called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground the mill in the prison. Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O oh God, that I may be avenged for the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson cries out to the Lord for help one more time. And at a party, while everybody's gathered together, thousands of Philistines together, his strength returns, his hair begins to grow. And in verse 30, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and all the people who were in it. 
So the dead who he killed in his death were more than those he had killed in his life. Samson is not an exciting flannel graph story. It's really a tragedy. The sad tale of a man who couldn't learn to follow the moral compass that God had put in his heart. We see God using Samson in spite of the fact that he was wicked and evil. And there's a few really powerful things I think we can learn from Samson's backstory and his interaction with Delilah. Maybe this morning you're worried about your own moral compass. Do I have what it takes? There's a promise I think we can learn from early on in Samson's backstory, and that's this. God planned out your life before you were born. You may have sin and wickedness in your heart. You you may have strayed away from God, or you may think that everything is going well. But we're reminded that God plans our steps before we even are born. That's why we read in Judges chapter 13, verse 3 through 5, An angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, Samson's mother, and says, Behold, you're barren, but you've not born children. You shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And then the purpose of Samson's life is revealed in verse 5. No razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite from God from the womb. And listen to this. From before Samson is born, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Can we not look over the fact that regardless of Samson's actions, God had already put a plan in place. Before Samson was born, before he was able to take a first breath, before he was even conceived, God had in mind a will for Samson's life. As wicked and as horrible and as evil as he is, God wanted to work and and move in the life of Samson. How much more so does God want to work and move in your life? To me, it's comforting to know that that God has a purpose for me, a plan and a will for my life. One of my my favorite testimonies to hear is a man named Mike Boyd. Mike Boyd was a a deacon at our church in Kentucky. Uh, When we served there, I was interim pastor for a short time, and Mike came to me one day. He was getting close to to being able to retire with the fire department. Uh, I'd worked there for his whole life. And he came and he said, Trey, I got to tell you I've I've had a good life he was well done well for himself and he said but I I just have felt my entire life God calling me to be a pastor and I just I've never followed it and I've always pushed it away he said I'm just two or three years away from getting another big bump in my retirement but I don't think God wants me to wait I've run long enough and I think I'm going to retire from working for the fire department and I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get a degree in 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 the bible and I want to go be a pastor Mike and I prayed, and he, he continued to work while he went to school, but he was a student full-time, and he worked. He cut his hours back. He retired before he got that big extra bump and bonus, and he, he began pastoring a church that, that, that grew, uh, doubled, and, and I think last I heard maybe even tripled in size since he took it over. A man who, who God, from the moment of his birth, had said, I want you to be a pastor, Mike, and Mike ran for it his entire life, uh, fled from it, didn't want to have anything to do with it. But it's a reminder to me that we can't outrun God's will for our life. God has a purpose and a plan for you, something great beyond what you can even possibly fathom or imagine. And he's already, already written out your steps. He's just waiting for us to say, Lord, I'll be obedient and I'll follow. See, even in Samson, God had planned out his life before he was born. And God has planned out your life 
before you took your first breath. The problem with Samson is that he wasn't relying on God's will and plan for his life. Samson was relying on the fact that he was a Nazarite, that he had long hair. He was relying on his muscles and his strength. What we find, though, is that that our strength is not in our personal character, but our strength is in God. Samson believed that his muscles is what help him overcome. His hair would give him superhuman strength. You and I believe those same lies. Our gifts and our talents and our abilities is what makes us something special in God's eyes. We're able to serve the Lord because God has blessed us with fill in the blank. We take our spiritual gifts and and many of us as we learn our spiritual gifts start start developing them and and we start getting a big head. Look at how good I am at, at singing. Look at how good I am at teaching. Look at how well I act with children. Look at how much humility I have behind the scenes, the anti-humble statement. Look at the things I'm so good at. The Lord really has blessed me with my strengths. Can I remind you and let Samson remind you that your strength does not lie in your personal character, in your gifts or your talents and your abilities, but your strength comes only from what God gives you. We're reminded all throughout Samson's backstory. In Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, we see Samson went down with his father and his mother on his way to meet his wife. They came out of the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Remember the story that we talked about where Samson ripped the lion apart? Listen to where his strength comes from. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I'm not going to get into what that means. I've never torn a young goat, but Samson apparently had before. He didn't tell his father and his mother what he had done, but you know who did know what he had done? The Lord knew because that's where the strength came from. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. It wasn't Samson's muscles. It wasn't Samson's hair. It wasn't the fact that he was a Nazarite. He was able to have that great strength because the Spirit of the Lord was on him. Later on, even in the midst of his sin, when he slaughters those 30 foreigners to to get their cloaks, we see that great moment of strength for Samson doesn't come from his muscle. Even in his moment of sin, in a few verses later, chapter 14, verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town. Where did he get the strength in this battle? Was it his muscles? Was it his hair? Was it the fact that he had taken a vow? No. His strength came from the Spirit of the Lord. Then in chapter 15, as the Israelites have handed him over to the Philistines, just don't hurt us, we'll give you Samson. Samson says, as long as you don't kill me yourself, I'll go. They take him and and they're they're ready to to, uh, try him and, and possibly execute him. What we read about in chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, the Philistines came to Lehi, and they came shouting to meet him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. Where did he find the strength to defeat the Philistines in this moment? Once and for all, where did he find the strength to overcome the enemy? Was it because of his muscles? Was it because of his hair? Was it because of his vow? No. His strength came because the Spirit of the Lord fell upon him. I wonder if we rely on our own strength. 
Lord, I have this talent and this giftedness and this ability. We think that it's us who are overcoming. Or maybe you're the other way around. Lord, I don't have talent and I don't have strength and I don't have ability. Lord, I don't have the muscles. I certainly don't have the hair. I've not made a vow. Lord, how am I supposed to accomplish the things you want me to accomplish when my strength is so weak? We're reminded that our strength comes not from our gifts and our abilities. Our strength comes from God. A really important moment in the passage after he gets his hair cut off. We're taught that when his hair was cut off, his strength left him. Our flannel graphs always show a bald Samson that is now a little weaker than a a full-headed, a hair Samson. We're taught that once that hair was cut off, he no longer was able to do those things. But that's not what we find if we read Judges chapter 16. Judges 16 verse 20, it says, The Lord had left him. Why was Samson weak? I don't believe his muscles shriveled up. He he was a little lighter weight because us bald people know it's easy to, to move around when you don't have anything holding you back, you know. It wasn't because all of a sudden he he had broken his vow. No, the reason why his strength left is because the Lord had left him. Your strength lies not in your personal character, not in your gifts, not in your abilities, not on what you think you can or cannot do. Our strength to serve God is only found when the Lord is upon us and our faithfulness to him and more importantly, his faithfulness to us. Finally, what we learn from Samson is that that what God really seeks from us is a repentant heart. An entire life, Samson ran from God, relying on his own strength, allowing the Spirit of the Lord to use him even in the midst of his sin. But he learned through, through the end of his life as he was a broken man, a blind man, with, with none of his gifts and talents and abilities, he learned that God did not care about his muscles. God cared about his heart. We read in Judges 16, 28, Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged for the Philistines for my two eyes. When we first read verse 28, my initial thought is, here's Samson again. He's just wanting his own glory one more time. God, avenge me. Let me get revenge on my enemies. But I think Samson's heart is revealed a couple of verses later. All of Samson's life, it's been about Samson, right? I want that wife. I want that riddle. I want this recognition. I want to to avenge myself. I want to rely on my own strength. Samson's entire life was spent looking out for number one. And here in this moment, the nation of Israel needed a new judge, someone with great strength to rule over them. I think the old Samson would have said, God, give me strength again to overcome my enemies and run out and lead the people of Israel for the rest of my life. But listen to his prayer in verse 30. Samson said, I think this was a prayer, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the Lord fell upon the Lord, the house fell upon the Lord's, and upon all the people who were in it. Do you hear a difference in Samson's line of thinking? Instead of, Lord, let me kill everyone in my strength, it says, Lord, in humility, I'll go down with the ship. Lord, if it's what you want to be done, I will do what you want me to do. Let me die with the Philistines. 
Let, let me sacrifice myself so that the people of Israel can be saved. We read chapter 16. It says all the people he killed in his life, he killed more Philistines, more of their leaders in that one act than he had in all of his life combined. Samson at this moment, at the end of his life, throws his hands to the side and says, Lord, if I have to sacrifice, I will sacrifice. Just save my people. God's desire for us is not that we would have some great feat of strength. Not that we would all of a sudden bust out with all of our giftedness and abilities. God's will for our life is that we would, we would break down, bow, and fall to our knees in repentance. Lord, I don't want to live for myself anymore. It's not about me and my gifts and my strength. It's about your will that you've designed me for from the very beginning. It's about your purpose for my life. It's a sign of us throwing our hands to the side as Samson did and saying, God, if I must die to you, I will die to you. We learn from Samson a lot of negative consequences from Samson's life, but can we focus just this morning on God's purpose and design before you were born? Not to give you great gifts and strength, but, but to be with you and send his, his spirit with you so that you're able to do all that he's called you to do. And what he seeks from you this morning is not some great strength and power, but he seeks your heart to be broken and repentant. This morning, can we just gather together and close our eyes and pray a prayer of repentance? Lord, if I must die to you, I will die to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Samson. Not our G-rated flannel graph story, but we thank you for the, the biblical account of a man who, like many of us, ran and ran and ran. Lord, we thank you that even in spite of his flaws and his sin, you have a will and a purpose for his life. In spite of the fact that he's selfish and looks out for himself, you send your spirit on him. And it's your spirit that gives him strength. Lord, we throw our hands to the side this morning. We bow our hearts and we ask for repentance for a life of running. And Lord, we give ourselves, our lives to you. Lord, as Samson screams, if I must die with the Philistines, let me die with the Philistines. Lord, we, we cry out to you, if you would have us to die to ourselves. Lord, we'll die to ourselves. Father, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who not only forgives our sins, but sends His Spirit on us to restore us to a right relationship with You. Lord, we repent this morning, each and every one of us, and ask that You would send Your Spirit. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.